0: What does motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast. Making the Bible come to life. Featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katyan. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved. So if you would like to contribute, head on over to Patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash Baldhead Bible. And so here we sit, Saul has just bungled it completely and attempted to become a priest when he had no right to take that role. And we're beginning to see a Saul here who acts rashly and doesn't think things through and tries to step out in faith when he should wait and we're going to see today probably should have stepped out in faith and not waited when he decides to wait. And it's like he always makes the wrong decision. From a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit and did some great things early on in fighting the Philistines here, we're starting to see a man who hides among the baggage, who is fearful, who is afraid, and who is faithless. So Saul attempts to keep his troops from failing and falling away by sacrificing when he should not. Samuel tells him, because you did that, you've lost the kingdom. Your family will not be king because you chose to defy God. Well, the problem is he's still got this Philistine problem. He has these troops that are arrayed before them like a sand of the sea. And it seems like Saul was so busy to keep his troops with him that again he goes ahead and sacrifices, but now he should act. Now he should step out in faith and do something, but instead we find him at the beginning of chapter 14. It says, one day, Saul is just sitting around, and he's not doing anything. And he's just sitting, as it says there, in a pomegranate cave at Gibeah. He's just hiding out. He's not really doing anything, and he's hanging out with this priest named Ahijah, which is nothing wrong with him, but it's interesting. He is the son of a high tub it says there in first samuel 14 verse 3 who is ichabod's brother and it's interesting the word ichabod means the glory has departed i think the writer for samuel here is trying to convey the sense that saul is not the man we want to follow And I think, remember, the troops tremblingly came and followed Saul to begin with. Well, I think part of the reason they were afraid of all the Philistines, but the other part is they're not certain about this King Saul anymore. He seems to be making some stupid decisions. One of the stupid decisions is mentioned at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 13. The only people with iron weapons in all of Israel, there's only two, and they belong to Saul, and they belong to Jonathan. It says there in chapter 13, verse 22, right there, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. Because the Philistines earlier had removed all metal swords, all iron spears found in the hand of any of the people and removed them. And if you wanted to have your spear or your sword or, or your plowing share or any type of utensil, it talks about there an axe, a sickle, a plow share. If you wanted it sharpened so you could actually use it as a farmer or you know working with cattle, you had to go find the Philistines and they would sharpen it with you. Oh and by the way, let's not sharpen it too sharp unless you use it to try to come back and fight us and oh, and let's take that sword and and let's take that spear and 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 so the Philistines were brilliant in the sense that they got all the swords and spears out of the country. And left them with nothing but axes and things to use for farming and cattle. But even then, if you wanted to have it sharpened, you had to go back to the Philistines. The only two pieces of weaponry, and there were only two of them, belonged to Saul and Jonathan. They each had swords. But think about it. There were only two in the whole country. How do you have an army... That doesn't have swords. How do you have an army that doesn't have spears? Well, I think the Philistines knew this. And they began to establish garrisons in Israel. They began to spread out. As it says there, at the end of chapter 13, one company set up at Ophrah. Another company of Philistines set up at Beth Haran and another, they turned toward the border and they looked down on this valley of Zeboim towards the wilderness. So the Philistines were starting to take back the land, starting to push back in. And at the beginning of chapter 14, we find Saul probably licking his wounds, upset that Samuel yelled at him. Sitting in his pomegranate cave, debating what to do next. Well, like I said last week, we meet the exact opposite of Saul. And that's his son, Jonathan. Man, if ever you want to have somebody to emulate and to be like in the Bible, I would look to Jonathan because this was a man who acted in faith. Saul, his dad, acted faithless, but Jonathan acted in great faith to honor his God, Yahweh. And I think that should encourage any of you who are younger and you're listening and you think, God can't use me because have you seen my parents? They don't love the Lord. They don't even go to church. They don't care. I just want to say you may have parents who don't want to live for God and you may have parents who have rejected the faith. You should still obey them when you can. When it doesn't violate scripture that doesn't give you a right not to obey them, right? Children obey your parents. But I do want to encourage you, you don't have to be like them. Jonathan was not like his dad. Maybe you're an adult and you have a parent who's let you down consistently and you think, Is this the way I'm going to be? Is this who I'm stuck being? And I just want to say no. Jonathan was unlike his dad, Saul. We do not have to repeat the sins of our parents. We don't have to. And here, Jonathan, instead of being faithless like his dad, decides to act in faith and to step out. And it says there in 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, One day, Jonathan and Saul and the army, they're all at Geba, and they're looking over across a valley, across this pass that's called the Michmash Pass, to the Philistine army that has camped around Michmash, as many as the sand on the sea. This is a massive army. So Jonathan is looking over at the philistine troops and maybe he looks down at the sword in his hand and the armor that he's wearing and he realizes this is the only other set in all of israel this is it my dad's got the other he's hanging out in this cave i've got to do something and then he looks over and, and and he sees that there's this pass the mcmash pass between him and his ability to get to that garrison of the Philistines. And and he thinks, you know, I've got to do something. I I can't just sit here, and my God is amazing, and and he shows great faith in God, and he says, we can do something. So he turns to his armor-bearer, and he says, you know what, armor-bearer? You don't know his name, it never says. But, hey, armor bearer, l- let's go over that Philistine garrison. Let's go check it out. Let's do something. I think Jonathan was a great leader because this armor bearer, his life's on the line. But he looks at Jonathan, and again, we're talking two people versus thousands upon thousands. But the armor bearer is basically like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And maybe Jonathan made him. I don't think so. I think Jonathan led in courage, and his leadership was infectious. So him and the armor bearer head out towards this pass and towards the garrison of the Philistines. But they don't tell anybody. Like I said, the the troops are all arrayed. Saul's troops are right there in Geba but. They're doing nothing, and Jonathan feels like he has to do something, so him and his armor bearer silently sneak out, and they head towards that garrison of the Philistines, and they walk their way down into the Mi'mash Pass, and they start to work their way down there, and then they finally get down to the bottom of the Micmash Pass. And they start to walk a little bit through that pass. And and then they come to these two cliffs, these two massive cliffs, or the Bible calls them rocky crags. And these were well-known landmarks, so well-known that people gave him names. There was one called Bozes and the other was called Senna. That's how well they were known. They were these rocky faces. And they probably came down one or near it and started to walk towards it. And then they saw Senna and Bozes. And Jonathan stops. Because at this point, if they walk through that point of the pass, there were men positioned at the top of one of the crags. And one of these crags you had to climb up in order to get to Mi'kmash. And so the Philistines had put troops at the top of that crag or that cliff face. Because, number one, if anybody wants to climb up it, they can just shoot them chunk as they're trying to climb up number two if somebody wants to go through the pass at the bottom it's narrow enough that they can shoot more arrows chunk chunk and kill them there's no way anybody's getting through i mean this was a brilliant military move and i can imagine jonathan's hiding behind a big boulder with his armor bear they've just come down one side they're about to go through that pass and Jonathan says, all right, let's do this. We're going to walk out to the middle of the pass. And we're going to motion to the army at the top of the rocky crag, whether it's Bozes or Senna. We're going to say Bozes because it's the cooler sounding one. So we'll say the Philistine army's at the top of the Bozes cliff face. And we're going to wave to them. And if they motion us to come on up, we're going to take that as a sign of the Lord that he is going to deliver them into our hands. Listen, and then Jonathan says this. He says something that we can all hang our hats on as Christians. We can all live by. He says this. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Let me repeat that. Jonathan says, you know what? Let's do this because we serve a God that nothing can hinder him from deciding to save by a massive army or, or just by two of us, by few. The Lord can use either. He can use a massive army to accomplish his will, or, or he can just use us too. And maybe Jonathan told him the story of Gideon, where Gideon took on this massive army with just 300, and they were outmatched dramatically. And Jonathan says, God can do amazing things by many or by few. And he probably looked at his armor bearer, just us two. His armor bearer smiled, and man, he's thinking, I'm so glad I'm with Jonathan. So Jonathan walks out into the middle of that pass. On one side is a huge, rocky cliff. On the other side is a huge, rocky cliff. And at the top is the Philistine army. Now, when he walks out, he could get shot at right there and killed wiped out so it took great faith for him to do that and he walks out and he stands there and again remember he says if they do nothing and don't wave me up or if in fact they start to come down to fight him down there. That's a sign to us. God has a different plan. And either they were going to run away. Or maybe take him on in the pass or, or maybe God had something else. But if the men waved him up. To come up that cliff. Then they were going to take it as a sign. That the Lord was with them. And that they had nothing to fear. And that this small group of Philistine men perched at the top of the cliff god had given them into jonathan and the armor bearer's hand well jonathan stands there i can imagine at the bottom of the cliff looks up and the men look down and they see these two puny men oh look one of them's got a sword well it must be one of the few in israel oh i must be the only other one there and So these men look down, and you know what they do? They wave him up. They wave him up. Hey, come on up, and we will show you a thing. That's what it says. Come on up, and we will show you a thing. What that basically means is come on up, and we're going to, beat the snot out of you. We're going to show you a thing. We're going to kill you. We're going to totally slaughter you. Come on up. We're going to show you a thing. And when they did that, I think a big smile came across Jonathan's face because he realized God was going to give them the victory. And maybe Jonathan and the armor bearer high-five and they're excited Well, they begin to climb. Because there wasn't a nice little path up. This was a sheer cliff face. Can you imagine climbing with metal armor and a sword? To accomplish God's will, Jonathan still had to put up faith and a lot of energy to climb this rock face. And so did the armor bearer. So they hop onto the first rock and they start to climb up. And they find their foothold here and they find their handhold there. And they're working their way up, all the way up this cliff. Now why the Philistines don't start shooting them off the cliff? Or why they don't take rocks and go and try to knock him down. No, they they just let him climb right up. Some people think because they thought maybe whoever he was was going to defect to their army, or maybe they thought Jonathan and his armor bear had some secret news that they could have. I think they were just that confident, that cocky, and maybe they hadn't had a good fight and they wanted one. Well up comes Jonathan climbing that cliff and they're climbing and they're climbing and they're climbing and this must have been exhausting I mean this wasn't a short little cliff this is a sheer face and finally they get to the top I can imagine the man pulls out his hand and they pull Jonathan up and Jonathan looks him in the face And the Philistine looks him in the face. And Jonathan pulls out his sword. He's ready for a fight. And the Philistines, ha ha, they laugh too. Maybe they're ready for a fight. And they pull out their swords. There were 20 of them up there 20 Philistine soldiers. I can imagine they're all. Throwing around, twirling their swords, We're ready to kill this one lonely Israelite, this Jewish soldier. Why they didn't just push him off the edge there, I don't know. Maybe they wanted a good fight. So 20 to 1, and Jonathan. He was a great military leader and a great soldier. And he starts to fight. And I can imagine the first blow. Ching, ching. The sound of the swords clashing. And it says that Jonathan totally wiped them out. And they killed 20 men in about a half an acre of space. So this is close combat. And I don't know if the Philistines surrounded him, and, and and the armor bearer jumped in too, and maybe they stood back to back, and chink, chink, they're fighting, Ah, oh, there goes one Philistine, oh, there goes another, the armor bearer's swinging, he ducks, and Jonathan spins around, and whoosh, oh, there goes another one, and they're just mowing them down, this would have been amazing. Yes, Jonathan was an amazing man, but you know it was God. You know, God was all over this thing. Maybe he made them so afraid that they just couldn't fight very well at all. Well, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they just totally slaughter these 20 men. And and they're charging on further and they run up the hill a little bit and they get into the garrison where all the Philistines are. And it says that the Philistines, this garrison of troops, they began to be afraid. You know why? Because they just saw Jonathan kill 20 men, and maybe they thought, wait, there is probably more than just two. Probably aren't thinking two men can take out 20. Maybe they're thinking a whole lot more are there. Maybe this is around dark and they can't see very well, but the other reason they're afraid it's cuz god is fighting for him and god sends an earthquake <laughs> And the earth starts to rumble. So here comes Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they're fighting. And they're killing. And people are thinking there's more than just two men. And then the earth is rolling and cracking open. And the men are, what? And it says the Philistines are panicking. And they are running everywhere. And they are set in a great panic. And Saul sits up maybe he feels the rumbling. He's in Gibeah there, and he looks across at micmash and this vast army is starting to disperse. The Philistine army is starting to run away in a panic, and it says that Saul finally gets an idea, and he says, all right, let's count and see who's among us. He starts to count the troops he has, and What's happening? Are are some troops over there? And then they realize Jonathan's missing. And he's the one who's doing all this. So Saul says to the high priest, the high, okay, bring the, this thing that the priest would have on his chest to basically decide what the will of God was. And he says, bring it. And so he brings it and Saul and the priest are trying to work out what to do. Should Saul attack? Should he not? This shows great lack of faith. Here you have the Philistine army in total disarray. They're running all over the place. Don't you think the will of God is obvious at this point? But again, I wonder if Saul is trying to ham-haw his way out of it, and he's still upset at Samuel, and he just doesn't know, and he's showing great lack of leadership. Well, his son Jonathan is kicking butt and taking names. You know, just him and his armor bearer and God. Well, Saul says, all right, stop this is ridiculous no i know what the will of god is finally he wakes up and it says there that he rallies the troops and they go into battle saul finally gets the army moving because they see how much confusion and how the philistines it says turn against their own army they're so confused they start killing themselves Well, when they see that, the army runs in. And then on top of that, they had some Israelites who had defected. Well, those defectors, when they see what's happening to the Philistines, they stop running and they turn back to help Israel. They stop defecting and choose to do right. And all these men who had hidden and defected and run away, when they see what is happening with the Philistines, they join Saul and they join the army. And it says that they totally routed the Philistines and they followed hard after them in the battle, killing many of them. And it says that the Lord saved Israel that day. You know, the writer of 1 Samuel wants to realize it wasn't Jonathan who saved Israel that day, and it definitely wasn't Saul. But the Lord saved Israel that day. Why? Because one young man saw what he had and thought, how can I use this for the Lord? He saw the only weapons in all of Israel, him and his dad, and he thought, I'm just sitting here not doing anything with it. And he looked at his talents, and he looked at his abilities. But he ultimately looked to Yahweh. And he said, you know what? The Lord can save by many or by few. Let's do this. And the mighty God of Israel and the same God we serve today Used those two young men to save the day for Israel because the adults did nothing. And I just want to encourage us all. Let's live by faith. Let's step out in faith. The same God that works miracles back then that can save by many or by few is the same that can do it today. He can save by many or by few because it all comes down to God. Will you let God use you? Instead of looking at what you don't have and the abilities you don't have and the opportunities you don't have and the things you don't have, instead of looking at that... Say the Lord can save by many or by few. The Lord can save by multi-talented, brilliant, wealthy people. God can use them or he can use me. My simple life with my low income or my lack of ability or my lack of standing in the community. All God wants us to do is just take what we have and step out in faith. Trust him for the outcome. I'm so thankful Jonathan did. Let's do that today. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.